I love that we are able to gather together as a body of believers to study the word of God. To see that though we're, we're separated, though there's still COVID and people are, are afraid, we have the freedom, the liberty to teach the word. I know right now it's a, a crazy time for, for pastors and for churches to be open, but I, I know in, in my prayer and my, my seeking of the will, I'm trying to follow the will of God as, as best as I can, and I fail at times. But I know that the church is supposed to be a place for the people to be ministered to, where God is glorified. So that being said, Sunday mornings, our backyard is open. We're, we're using discernment and wisdom uh, with COVID and with all these things, but we're going to continue to teach the Word of God. And I would encourage believers to use wisdom, discernment, but to be motivated by love, not fear. Now, with this, what we're seeing is God doing a work through all these things that are happening in our nation, in our lives. And we realize that God is sovereign, and that's one of the major lessons today of our study this evening. In Genesis chapter 41, we already started this chapter, and we're going to begin tonight with verse 37, but as a recap, remember, we're looking at Joseph and his life. Joseph, one of the 12 sons of Israel, was put in a really terrible trial in his life where the Lord allowed him to walk through betrayal, to be placed into bondage into slavery as his brothers sold him out of jealousy. How Joseph then was in Potiphar's household, taking care of all of Potiphar's things, and there God was still with him. And we have that constant theme throughout Joseph's life, that God was with him everywhere he went whether in seasons of trial or in seasons of blessing, God was with him. And God is with us. And as he's there, a a servant to Potiphar, then Potiphar's wife, who attempts to seduce him and, and bring Joseph down, when Joseph flees and he runs from temptation, Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. And then from that point, he's thrown into jail. And when he was in the jail, he met the two prisoners, the butler and the baker. See, even being in jail, God still gave him success there where he was over other prisoners. He became this leader, even in the prison. The captain of the guard made him a lead because Joseph was a righteous man whom he could trust. 
And then the butler and the baker came to, to Joseph. Joseph, on checking in on them, noticed they were so sad. And he's like, what's, what's wrong, guys? Why are you guys so sad? And they said, hey, we both had some really terrible dreams last night that have bothered us. And we don't know what they mean. And then Joseph, with the gift of interpretation of dreams from God, told the butler, look, in three days, Pharaoh is going to take you out of prison and you're going to be restored to the place where you once were. And you're going to put Pharaoh's cup in his hand and squeeze that juice into Pharaoh's cup. And then he went to the butler and he said, butler, uh, baker, sorry. He went to the baker and said, all right, baker, what's your dream? And he tells him the dream. And he's like, bad news, bro. In three days, Pharaoh's going to lift up your head and hang you. And the crows will pick at your head. And these things came to pass. Now, with the butler, before the butler left and was taken by Pharaoh back to his normal position, if you remember, he told, he was told by Joseph, hey, don't forget me. Remember me when you're restored to your place. And when you are restored to your place, tell Pharaoh that I'm, I'm here unjustly, that I was placed here because of a lie. And the butler was like, I got you, bro. Don't worry. And then two full years go by. And Pharaoh has not yet heard of Joseph. And so then from there, jo- Pharaoh has this dream that we read about last week. And this dream of these cows that were great and healthy, that were eat there by the river, and they were eating. And suddenly, these ugly, gaunt cows come out, and they see the healthy cows, and they eat the, ugly, the healthy-looking cows. And then he has another dream, and this very similar, where he sees these wheat fields and these seven healthy vines of wheat they are growing out of the ground healthy and then these seven wheat stalks come out that are unhealthy and they eat the healthy ones and this dream troubles pharaoh so much that he calls for all his magicians his soothsayers the spiritual people to interpret this dream now there in egypt they had a lot of weird occultic practices and i'm sure the magicians perhaps sought to help Pharaoh with this this plea that he had, but they were unable to because this dream was given to him from God. So Joseph is then remembered by the butler. The butler recalls and he says, you know what? I remember my faults, Pharaoh. Remember, I I hate to bring it up, Pharaoh, but you remember about two years ago, you had me thrown in jail because of that situation and then you let me out a little bit later. Well, while I was in jail, there was a man who interpreted a dream that I had and told me that you were going to release me out in three days' time. And in fact, you did that very thing. And this man claimed that God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. So Pharaoh was like, all right, call him up. Let's hear from him. And then Joseph goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, hey, 
I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph reminds Pharaoh, God is the interpreter of dreams. Always with that humble recognition of, of, of that God is the one who has empowered. And so Pharaoh tells him the dream and Joseph interprets it. And not only does he interpret the dream, but then he, it, with the wisdom and discernment that God gives him, he then gives Pharaoh a response to the interpretation of the dream. He tells Pharaoh, look, the seven cows that were healthy and the seven stalks of grain that were healthy that you saw, those were seven years that are going to come that are going to be full of great agricultural success where we're going to have a great economy and have all this food for the land of Egypt and even the out, outer nations. And it's going to be so good. And then suddenly at the end of that seven years, a famine is going to come in. A famine that will be so severe and so bad that people will forget the seven years of plenty. So what you should do, Pharaoh, is assign someone to gather some of a portion of, of those seven years of all the, the food and store it in a granary and, and place it there so that during the seven years of famine, we can have continued food and be able to supply to our people and even to others. And Pharaoh is just astounded that Joseph had this wisdom and Pharaoh even recognizes that it comes from God. And this is where we pick up in the chapter tonight. In Genesis chapter 41, let's begin with verse 37. It says, So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God. I believe this question that Pharaoh asks is a question that we must ask ourselves tonight. We need to ask if we can find someone in whom is the Spirit of God. And then we ourselves, in order to find this person, must draw a circle around ourselves and start there. A lot of times you hear about revival in, in the church. People talk about revival. Well, revival, it's going to start with one person. And that if it doesn't start with you, then who is it going to start with? If we want to see revival in our church, if we want to see revival in our state, in our nation, we need to look, get down on our knees, draw a circle around yourself and Realize that you need to get yourself right with the Lord. I need to get myself right with the Lord. There needs to be a revival within us. You see, it's necessary for spiritual growth that we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no replacement for it. If we don't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, what will we fill ourselves with? The things of this world, with sin, with pleasure, with things that are not eternal. 
And do those things, do they, they bring reason to our life? Do they bring purpose to our life? No. In Christ, we find our purpose. In Christ, we find our truth, our love, our light, our peace. We must be that man, that woman that has the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, I'll read you these verses. It says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. One of the illustrations of this spirit being poured into you that I love to use, my, my dad would used to tell it to me all the time, is when you have a dirty cup and you're going to wash it, you're going to cleanse it, you begin to pour that water into it. And the more water you pour into it, the more water, the more the dirt comes out. And eventually more and more dirt comes out and more and more dirt. And that's the way we are as instruments of God. When we have sin and anxiety and fear and depression and all these things in our life, the more of the Holy Spirit we pour into it, the more that evil, that wickedness will come out. There was a, a famous theologian named D.L. Moody, who he was also a great evangelist. And he had this quote that I, that I, I love to, to share with you tonight. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. You see, God doesn't need a whole army to change the world. He just needs people who are fully consecrated to him. He used 12 apostles to radically change the entire world and to spread the gospel, the good news. May we strive to be that. Now, we will never achieve this God-like presence where we don't have sin anymore. You see, as believers and as we strive after holiness, we will never be sinless, but we will sin less. You see, the more and the more mature we get as believers, we repent more and we get stronger in our, in our walks. So don't be discouraged, but understand that God is shaping you, molding you to be that purpose-filled life that he is calling you to. In verse 39, as we continue, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you See, Pharaoh recognizes Joseph's wisdom is from God. So he says, you shall be over my house. 
and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Wow, Pharaoh here is really giving Joseph the royal treatment. So much so that he's even putting him in the second chariot of Egypt. The first chariot would have been Pharaoh's own personal chariot. And then the second chariot in Egypt was like right next, top of the line, coolest chariots there were back then. And now he's allowing people as Joseph would ride through to pay honor to him. Kind of reminds me of, we'll speak on this briefly, of you remember the, the account of Esther and the book of Esther? How her cousin Mordecai, he gets really blessed by the king. See, in, in the account of, of Esther, this woman who is, becomes the wife of the king, she had a cousin named Mordecai. Now, Esther and Mordecai were Jews. And there was a man named Haman who was one of the princes of the king, and he, he hated the Jews. Now, Haman would seek to have Mordecai bow down to him, and Mordecai would say, no, I'm only going to bow down to God. And Mordecai also, in this account, foils an assassination attempt against King Ahasuerus. There was a plot against him to, to kill the king, and Mordecai found out about it, reveals it, and the king is saved. And one day, as the king is trying to go to sleep, but he can't sleep, he has the scribes come read the past week events that have happened. And as they're going through uh, the the recordings of what happened, they remind the king that Mordecai stopped this assassination attempt on the king's life. And the king is like, hmm, did we ever repay and reward this guy for saving my life? And they're like, no, king, we haven't. So he's like, you know what? Bring Haman in here, Haman. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to have him kind of take care of this situation where we can reward this guy. And so they call Haman in and Haman comes in and the king begins to tell Haman, Haman, uh, there's this guy in, in our kingdom and I, uh, I think he's been doing a really good job in, in our kingdom and I, I want to reward him, you know? Um, so what would you do if there was such a man like this in the kingdom? How would you say that we should reward him? And Haman and his pride is thinking, well, the king is talking about me. He wants to reward me. So Haman's like, you know what, king? You should throw a parade for him. Put him on the chariot. Let him ride through town. And as people are seeing him ride through, may them, make them pay homage to him. And have this cool, awesome chariot for him. You know, get it all 
squeak cleaned up with the dope rims, you know, make that look really cool and then let him ride through. So King Ahasuerus is like, you know what, Haman? Do that very thing that you're talking about for Mordecai. And all of a sudden, Haman's like, what? This is the dude, like, who I want to kill. Like, this is the guy who I'm trying to kill myself. Like, what do you mean do this for him? And in this account, we see how God is sovereignly taking care of his people, Mordecai. And then the whole story, I don't want to get too far into it. Esther ends up saving the people of Israel. But how God can divinely intervene in a person's life where he's putting Mordecai, like he put Joseph now, in this chariot and is allowing him to be blessed. And sometimes God just knows exactly when to do that in our lives. In the right place, the right time. Perhaps we're in seasons of of, of trial or uh, of suffering and pain and God allows us to, to go through those and then he has that peace, that season of peace waiting for us. No, nothing's what we're in right now. It's not permanent. Now, back in Joseph's life, in verse 44, it says, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now, this name that Pharaoh gave Joseph, Zathnath Paneah, it literally means a revealer of secrets. It's kind of interesting. And then in verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Whew. 13 years, Joseph was sold into slavery, thrown into prison, and everywhere God was with him, even in trials. But now it finally, it seems as though things are going to be good for Joseph. After all these struggles, all the tears, of betrayal. It seems like Joseph's finally made it. But as in life and in reality, even our mountaintop experiences must be led into valleys and deserts. You see, if you're not currently in a trial right now, believer, you are possibly heading into one. Or perhaps you just came out of a trial now, these are seasons we're talking about. You see, things don't stay the same. So it, it's wise, believer, Christian, to not be disturbed by the surprises of life. Expect the unexpected. Expect to be disturbed. Expect to 
have that trial knowing that God is going to be with you so that when you finally see, oh, this was, you know, the trial that I haven't had yet, you remember, okay, God loves me. God knew this trial was coming into my life. Has God left me and left me without a way of escape or is he not going to make this for good somehow, some way? Now, I realize that me saying this right now to you and me going through it myself are two different things. I realize that when we hear this Bible study, we're like, you know what? Yes, this is truth. This is what I need to hear. And then we go out into the world and we experience a trial. We experience a struggle. We experience pain and suffering. And suddenly all of this just goes out the door, out the window. And you're just like, why is this happening, God? What, what, what about the goodness I'm supposed to be living in? So we need to be constantly reminded of these truths. We need to be in our word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be surrounded by other believers so that we can grow in this constant reminder that God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. These are seasons we're going through. Now look at verse 47. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Now, there is a site in old Cairo to this day where they claim to have one of these granaries of Joseph. Kind of interesting, but I, I kind of doubt that this had been proven that this was the literal granary of Joseph. But what we still realize is how that culture has adopted this account and said, yep, this was Joseph's granary. And we see that these accounts that are in the Bible, there's other places where we find hard evidence that this was most likely the exact place where this took place. And the other times where we know for sure, 100%, this was where Abraham went. This is where Jesus walked. This is the temple. This is Solomon's temple. And I realize that our Bible is full of historical, archaeological evidence. It's forensic evidence, really. Now, in verse 50, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenoth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now these names, they're literal names in the Hebrew 
Manasseh, his name means forgetful, causing to forget. And Ephraim, his name means double fruit. It was like that double portion. So when he would call his sons, he'd be like, oh, forgetful, come over here. Or, you know, hey, double fruit, come this way. And it was a reminder, though, not, it wasn't making fun of his sons, really. It was a reminder to himself of how good God is. The first son, when he had him, you have to look at this moment. Take, take a step back, uh, uh, Joseph's life, and look at all the things that Joseph had been through. After Joseph had been sold into slavery, thrown into prison, 13 years being in, in bondage, finally, sudden, suddenly now, he went from the lowest pit, the lowest of lows, to now being put second in command over Egypt. And not only that, second in authority in Egypt, but then he gets a wife. In the dungeon, he probably felt like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of here. I'm going to die in this place. From that, from not even thinking of the possibility of having a family one day, to then suddenly God blesses him with a wife? That's already like, I'm sure... Joseph was like, now I could die, right? This is good. But then Joseph has his firstborn son. And the love that Joseph experienced as a father would have to his firstborn son, Joseph says, God has made me forget all the toil that was taking place in my father's house. Now this is so cool. Because I realize that God can do this in our lives. That if we have that past that comes back to haunt us, if we have those mistakes or those trials of terror that still haunt us to this day, God has the ability to put us in a place where we forget those toils. Now, if it's not in this life, thank God it's in the next. Thank God that one day he will remove all the memories of pain and of suffering. The Bible teaches us that God will wipe away every tear in heaven, that there's not going to be any more sorrow no more weeping, no more pain. And God will be the most beautiful experience that you'll have there in heaven. Jesus, fellowship with him. Now in this life, even King David in his Psalms wrote about that God has the ability to allow us to see the goodness in the land of the living. We prayed for it. You see, if you're listening today and you have those thoughts that are coming back up, that the enemy is trying to use against you, understand, believer, that God allowed those to happen into our lives 
because he's molding and shaping us into something far better than we knew. And that he has the ability to heal. You see, our God is a healing God. I love all the names that God has in the Old Testament. The, the Jehovah's. See, Jehovah Jireh is God our provider. Maybe you've fallen into a case of really bad debt in your life. I think there's some practical financial advice that is out there for us, but also realize that overall, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And God can take care of your provisions, your needs. Ultimately, we need not to trust in our work, but we need to trust in God. There's Jehovah Tzidkenu, which is God, our righteousness. You see, when we ourselves are trying to be self-righteous and we realize that those are just dirty rags to the Lord, then we need God to be our righteousness. We need Jehovah Shalom. That's God, our peace. You see, and I could go on and, and on on all the, the Old Testament names of, of, of Jehovah, the all-becoming one. You see, God is everything that we need. Now, does that mean that in our life we're going to just have it perfect and easy cake? No, it's, it's hard. There's struggles in our life. But I can't imagine going through this life without God. And in fact, when I did try to go through this life without him, it was what brought me down to that breaking point where I needed him the most. Now, if that's you tonight, Christian, who the past has been haunting you, Look at where God has you and look forward. That's maturity in a believer's life is not to continue to dwell on the past and on the past mistakes. You know, sometimes as uh, believers, there is a, um, a point when we get too focused on the past, even in our testimonies where there's times when they turn into what I like to call death testimonies, not testimonies. People get really excited about telling how bad they used to be. Um, but I, I know there's a place for testimony in a believer's life, and there's a place and a time to share that. But what is God doing in your walk today? And where is he taking you? Where do you see yourself going? See, God wants us to focus on him. God's grace I want to, before I keep going, because this is, I feel led to share with this. On God's sovereignty in Joseph's life. How sometimes we think that because we made a certain mistake in our life, uh, that suddenly now God has to get plan B or uh, some sort of separate plan ready and prepared for us that he didn't intend but you see, 
by doing that, we mistaken God for not knowing all things. God does know all things. So when we make mistakes, it's not like God is pulling his hair like, oh, snap, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get him out this time? No, God knew this the whole time. So he already had the reality of his divine sovereignty prepared for you. So continue to grow in Christ and flee from sin, flee from temptation, and know that God has a plan for your life, and he's allowing that to unfold. Now, as Joseph is learning all these things, look at this, verse 53. Then the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. Now, what I see in Joseph's life is very practical wisdom. Joseph was a man who had a relationship with God. And Joseph didn't just rely just solely on, oh, well, we're just going to pray and, you know, God's going to take care of everything. God does take care of everything, but we also have our responsibility to take care of. You see, Joseph had to work. He had to plan. He had to prepare. There are things in, in our life that we're called to do to be responsible over burdens that we ourselves are given to bear. And if we fail in doing these things, then there's going to be failure. There's going to be consequences. So there needed to be both that relationship with God, prayer, and also that divine service unto the Lord, being responsible. Look at chapter 42. In verse 1, when Jacob saw there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to the place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So this is kind of one of those back-of-the-farm type moments where it goes back to Joseph's family, who have we haven't seen for about 13 years. And then in verse 3, it says, So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in all the land of Canaan. Now, Jacob, also known as Israel, 
he sends his sons to go to Egypt because the famine is severe. He says, okay, look, we're, we're out of food, boys. I need you guys to go to Egypt. I hear that they have a bunch of grain down there. And his brothers are, are you know, probably perhaps thinking like, man, like we sold our, our brother to Egypt. Who, who knows what's going to happen out there? But the father says, okay, we, I want all of the brothers to go, but Benjamin, you stay back because I don't want anything bad to happen to him. I already lost one son to a wild animal, Joseph. So I don't want Benjamin to go, the youngest of my sons. And then in verse six, now Joseph was governor over the land and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now, notice Joseph's brothers come and they bow down to him. Does that bring back any memories? It did for Joseph. Remember, he had a dream. He had a dream that his family came to him and they were represented by these wheats that all bowed down to him. And then again, another dream he had with the, the sun and the moon and he was this star and there's these other stars that came and they all bowed down to his star. And his brothers were jealous of this dream. They're like, dude, you're crazy, man. Even his his parents were like, what, are we going to bow down to you too, Joseph? And here it's beginning to happen now. His brothers are bowing down to him. And Joseph now suddenly realizes, these are my brothers. This is what, what God told me about through dreams. And Joseph now begins to do something that perhaps we can question his tactics, but he tests his own brothers because he didn't forget what they did to him. He didn't forget that they sold him into slavery. So before he reveals who he is, it says in verse 9, Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. I'm sure at this point, Joseph was like, honest men, huh? maybe even perhaps wanted to blow his cover and said, I'm Joseph, but kept his cool for the moment. And then in verse 12, but he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today. And one 
is no more. Now at this word, Joseph is finding out more about his family. You see, as in this slight interrogation, he's realizing my father's still alive. And my younger brother, Benjamin's still alive. And they think that I'm dead. They don't even recognize me. And they're telling me that one is no more. So this charade continues in verse 14. But Joseph says to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Whoa. Then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers go, be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. So Joseph here, finally, some payback for 13 years that he experienced of being placed in slavery and captivity, puts his brothers in prison for three days. And perhaps convicted, perhaps wanting to find out more about his family, then says, all right, guys, I'm going to let you go. If you're honest, man, here's a little test. Keep one of, I'm going to keep one of your brothers, and you're going to go back to your home, and you're going to bring your youngest brother to me, and then I'll know that you guys are honest. And they did so. Look at verse 21. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. And we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Now, in verse 21, we realize what happened, what took place when they sold him into slavery. That as he was being sold into slavery, there was anguish of the soul coming from Joseph. That he was pleading with his brothers, saying, don't do this thing. But their hatred had blinded them. Their desire of greed and of getting rid of of something in their life that they saw as a nuisance, It took over that jealousy. And jealousy will do that in a believer's life. But now they know that it was wrong. They're convicted by this. All these years, they are finally saying here in the Bible, we are truly guilty. There was a conviction in their hearts and their minds. It didn't bring justification in their mind when they thought of this situation. It says in verse 22, 
And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them. For he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Now I can imagine that this was a highly emotional situation. That Joseph, in this disguise that he's in, even speaking through an interpreter, is still able to understand the conversation they're having with one another. Realizing this at this point, he's now hearing them say that they're guilty of this. And Reuben is trying to explain to his brothers, I told you guys not to do this thing. And even Joseph is now hearing Reuben's side of the story. And this was so much for Joseph, he, he just couldn't take the situation and, and be normal. He had to walk away and weep. Because though his brothers deserved prison and jail, this was still hard for him to endure. All these memories coming back, the past, it haunts. So he takes Simeon and bounds them before their eyes. And then in verse 25, Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain to restore every man's journey to his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored And there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done with us? Wow. So at this point, Joseph gives them grain for their money, and he sends them back on their way, and they realize, wait, I still have my money, one of them. And they're saying, oh my gosh, like this is thievery now. We're already in trouble with Pharaoh. Like we're being sent on this mission to bring our brother back. And he's just going to realize and think that we're just liars and thieves. And they're worried about Simeon. And they're saying, what is this that God has done to us? And I think as believers, we ask that to God a lot sometimes. We say, God, what are you doing? And we don't realize the situation. We don't realize the full effect of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of other people and how he's divinely working things out for good for us. Because he loves us. In verse 29, Then they went to Jacob to their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that happened to them, saying, The man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers 
sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. So the brothers are retelling this whole account to their dad now. And I'm sure as Jacob's hearing all this, he's like, what? What? Like just fear overcoming him. And then in verse 35, they continue. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. You see, Jacob is now in that same spot as these brothers. All these things are against me. And perhaps that's the situation where you feel like you're at tonight, Christian. All these things are against me. But realize that at the end of this account, just like the, at the end of your account, Christian, the end of your life, God has something prepared for you so awesome and so amazing for those who love him and are called of him. God is working all things out for good. In verse 37, then Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. To be continued as we continue in this, it's a terrible place to stop. (laughs) But I think, Christian, I want you to know that this account, if you don't already know, if you haven't watched the cartoon or the movie on this, God is using all of this, what the brothers had done, all the trial they're going through, what they had intended initially for evil, God is using for good. And then next week when we get into this, it's one of the most fascinating chapters in Genesis, just the drama that takes place with Joseph and his brothers, the emotions that come out. The father begins to tell his sons, like, why Why did you tell so much to Pharaoh? Why did you say the things about Benjamin being here? Why? And then the brothers are like, well, we didn't know he was going to do this whole thing with us, Dad. And we see that God is just using all of this account to get all this family together in the same spot. Because he's showing them through all of this that he loves them. 
that he's working things out for good. You see, there is a, something quite interesting about Joseph's life. There's a great typology between him and Jesus. You see, just as Jesus was rejected by his brothers, the people he was sent to, Joseph, too, was rejected by his brothers. Just as Jesus was taken down into, or went down into Hades, into hell, after his crucifixion, Joseph was thrown into the pit. And just like Joseph was taken out of that dungeon, Jesus also resurrected. For the salvation of the world as Jesus did, and just like Joseph did to save his family and to save Egypt. You see, in in all these accounts in the Old Testament, they want to get us to focus. God intended this to put our attention, our eyes on Jesus. To remember that the things of the past, our past man, our old self, are being done away with. That God is molding and shaping us into something so much more that every season is preparation for the next. So, my fellow believers, remember that God has that ability to make our past be forgotten. So I want to pray tonight and ask that God would continue to remove the things of the past that are he does not want us to remember. That we would trust him with where he has us now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your love and grace. Continue to go before us, Lord God. Father, if there's believers out there tonight who need to let go of past mistakes, of sin, who need to let go of uncertainty, may your Holy Spirit allow them to do that. I pray and I ask, Father, that you'd empower them this week. Fill them with your love, your grace, your mercy. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and read ahead. That way, yeah, at least you could have that rest of what the story ends up with. Uh, read that chapter tonight and then uh, be prepared next week as we dive into it. Just to continue to see what God has for you. But well, we love you. We'll see you on Sunday morning at 1130. In Jesus' name. Father, I adore you. Let my life be for you.
I adore you Lay my life before you I adore